Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. I'm also Rachel. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast, which we're bringing to you from the Labour Party Conference in Liverpool. In this episode, we're joined by Darren Jones, Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, and we're going to be discussing the Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves' pledge to rebuild Britain. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in this strange booth that we found in the Liverpool Conference Centre, I have Deputy Political Editor Rachel Wearmouth and our Associate Political Editor Rachel Cunliffe. And we'll soon be joined by the Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury and MP for Bristol North, Darren Jones. Before our MP comes, let's bitch about conference bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this, the idea of this conference is supposed to be why Labour. So okay, we've heard you know the problems with the country, we've heard Keir Starmer's backstory. It's now like what will a Labour Britain look like? And I have not got an, that impression from the speeches that we've been watching. Even though shadow um, cabinet members have been told to frame their speeches around that question. Um, yeah, there's not. Because they're not there, was so, there was so little new policy in Rachel Reeves' speech and I haven't heard anything that's majorly moving on the narrative for Labour this conference yet. But I guess a lot of that would come potentially tomorrow in Keir Starmer's speech where you would hope that you would get a bit more of a vision of what a Labour government would be like. But... Yeah, there's not a lot that's there's not a lot that's moved it on yet. The big the big thing that most journalists are saying all of this week is there's not much to write about yeah. and everyone's being very, very, very careful. So I think they just want to control how it pans out. Yeah, and it does feel very disciplined, doesn't it, Rachel? It, it does. Not to treat this podcast like a group therapy session, but um, <laughs> this is my first Labour conference and my first uh, time in Liverpool in this beautiful but incredibly confusing conference centre that's like an Escher drawing where you constantly feel like you're going up and down the wrong escalators. Um, <laughs> and I have spent most of my time here so far going from room to room, feeling really lost and like I'm missing out on where the news is happening because I just can't find any. And I've seen speeches and fringe events and I've been chatting to delegates and everyone's very cheerful, everyone's very happy, but I haven't really got anything that I was like, oh, that's news, that's interesting. And it's so reassuring to be with both of you here <laughs> in this very strange booth, to hear both of you going, no, that is, that's not just me failing at conference, that is very much the vibe here. Yeah, yeah. chill, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not you at all. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is, you know, it is, you say, say it's an upbeat atmosphere and it is, it's very busy as well. I was trying to get into Rachel Reeves' speech and it was, it was a scrum. People mm. were like jostling with security you know physically to try and get in and a lot of people didn't including MPs aides 
business representatives who have been promised a place, people from CLPs. Um, I managed to sort of sweet talk my way in, but even the media were being um, turned away. So that's really different, I think. Sometimes for the leader's speech, it can get full, but I've never seen that, you know, no, for and it's, it's just a so, standard It's day. so different to Manchester last week when there was one event that had a massive queue. At the queue, Tory conference. At the Tory party conference, yes. That had a massive queue, uh, which was Liz Truss, uh, which we talked about on the, the, the podcast that week, which we recorded inside my hotel room on the floor. So this is absolutely an upgrade to be doing it in this <laughs> lovely, almost soundproof booth here. Um, but there was, there was that, but the fringe events, they weren't like poorly attended, but there were no queues. And as well as Rachel Reeves's one, um, I caught a queue and I went oh what's this queue for and it was like snaking all the way out into the into the corridors and that was for West Streeting I've just been in a fringe with it was meant to be David Lammy he's gone down to to London uh, for the vigil for, for Israel that's that's there so it was Lisa Nandy instead that also had a really long queue and it was packed out there were just a lot of people here and they seem really interested and engaged in hearing what the shadow cabinet have to say even though the shadow cabinet are not actually saying that much yeah i mean i went to cover um reeves's speech that i just described um and there wasn't that much new in it and the things that she announced that were new were mainly to crack down using that word on waste and fraud in government um particularly this covid corruption commissioner to try and claw back some of that money that was lost through the covid scheme sort of notoriously and i always think you know it's a sign of a government or an opposition party with very little money to play with when they're saying they're going to crack down on waste or tax it's a bit like saying we're going to crack down on tax evasion you know there's sort of an invented amount of money that they think that they can save from doing this yeah i also think she's trying to build in a bit of mood music around the 28 billion a year pledge, which is a huge amount of, of borrowing yeah. to invest. So she probably wants everyone to have a, a broader impression that she's a politician that is very responsible with the finances, cares about waste, because that'll be a big dividing line at the election. And she wants to make sure that she's bedding in this idea that she's the woman with the purse strings who's not going to waste your money. So, yeah, I suppose politically, on one hand, it could be clever because Rishi Sunak was Chancellor in these times when these things were signed off. And he's supposed to be a numbers man. So undermining, undermining that reputation is quite important to Labour to do. But also talking about government waste is quite risky because then people just think the government wastes your money. And you don't get buy-in for tax rises and big spending projects, which, you know, I know that Labour aren't talking about now, but they are going to have to talk about when they're in government. So, you know... There is a bit of a risk there. So I think both of you are right. I think talking about, oh, we'll, we'll get this money by cutting down on waste is the last resort of governments from all parties uh, when they they, they, they they want new shiny things and they don't want to announce tax rises. But I do think the COVID one is different on a kind of political level because there has been so much anger about that money that was handed out often to companies that were fast-tracked through their friendships or their relationships with ministers and some of them look fraudulent some of them don't necessarily they just look like misguided attempts to, to do things but you know it reminds people of the chaos of the Boris Johnson government things like Matt Hancock giving a contract to someone who owned his pub it just brings a lot of that stuff back and the actual amount of money that they're going to get back from it I mean I don't think it will be that much because honestly I think if Rishi Sunak were capable of clawing that money back he would do that too um, but I think that the message it sends is a reminder of that government 
was chaos and we are still paying for the consequence of that chaos now and I think it's quite a clever dividing line even if when we look back on this in however many years it turns out they didn't get very much of it back I'm not really sure that's the key purpose of it. Okay, so we're just about to speak to Darren Jones about the thinking behind all of this. But before he arrives, Rachel, tell us a little bit about the significance of Darren Jones in the Labour Party now. Uh, Darren Jones has been tipped for a promotion for about the last 12 months now. So he's been he's very much considered a rising star of the party. He used to chair the um, business Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee, which was the job that Rachel Reeves held before she oh, was yeah, promoted. Yeah, yeah, before she was promoted into standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> Keir Starmer's like uh, shadow cabinet, so like they'll that, they'll have a good relationship him and him yeah. and Rachel because of that. Um, but he, he's a very different guy to Pat McFadden. You know, he's very how, how that how that dynamic changes. Now, be some, we I don't know how that will unfold, but it'll be an interesting thing to watch. He's very well liked across the party. Yeah. He, um, very much on the rise. Well, let's see if he's very well liked by the New Statesman podcast team. After the break, we'll be joined by Darren Jones. If you're subscribed to the New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Darren. I know it's a hectic schedule. Um, but we have just been covering Rachel Reeves' speech. Uh, it was the big speech of the day. We're at Monday at party conference. Um, what's your involvement in the speech writing or putting the speech together process? Well, the Shadow Treasury team, so me, Rachel and our, our staff, are involved in everyone's speeches because Labour Party policy is not policy unless the Treasury team sign it off. <laughs> um, and so we've had to go through every colleague's speech uh, in advance of conference, which involves a bit of negotiation uh, <laughs> about what can and can't be said uh, in line with our fiscal rules, which, as you heard from Rachel today, are non-negotiable. Um, and that includes Rachel's speech and Keir's speech as well. So there's been a lot of work in advance of the speeches being delivered at conference here this week. Yeah, and you were actually tasked with something in the speech. Rachel Reeves said that you were to examine line by line every ongoing major capital project to make sure that Labour's ready to get going from day one. Have you started that your task yet? Well, I haven't actually opened my inbox yet. <laughs> but I suspect it's already full uh, with emails from suppliers, companies, projects around the country. The key reason for that announcement was because we know, not just from HS2, but from other big capital projects, that we are probably one of the worst countries in Europe for getting stuff done. And we need to be able to build more effectively, more quickly and more cheaply, not just for public sector funded projects, but crucially for co-invested projects with the private sector. And so I've been tasked to do this review, which will look at all of the levers we have available to us to make sure that, as you heard in the speech, we can get Britain building again. Yeah, that was the theme of the speech, rebuild Britain. Um, but on HS2 specifically, um, the Shadow Chancellor didn't say that she would restore that northern leg. What, what is Labour's line on this now? Are you going to be able to not say for the length of, it, the, of time till the election? Well, the fact is the Conservatives have scrapped the additional limbs um, of HS2. They've had a bit of a fudged position on the Euston connection. That has real-world implications today for businesses, for workers, for the purchasing of railway tracking kits and other things. And so 
even if we were to want to build the whole thing coming into government, we hope in 12 or 18 months, the cost of that as a consequence of the Tories' failure on the project, I mean, is not, it's not calculable at this stage, but it would be even larger than what it was looking like already. So uh, we will not be doing that. Mm-hmm. OK. And Rachel, we were talking about this before we came on air. There, were, there weren't that many big new policy announcements in the speech, even though it felt like a big speech of the conference. It felt like a massive event. Yeah. You know, it was like Rachel Reeves' arrival as chancellor almost, even though she obviously introduced herself as shadow chancellor. But um, I would think what what struck me was just that she spoke with complete authority. Um, and she obviously, her public speaking, since she took on that front bench role, has got so much better. She was incredibly impressive. And I think I spoke to someone... She got seven I, standing ovations yeah, in I the spoke hall. to someone from her yeah. team and she said they counted seven, but it could have been, could have been even more. So it's like, I think you, as you wrote in your piece, it, was just like, it feels like, feels like Rachel Reeves' party at the yeah, moment. Yeah, that's what it really felt like. Yeah. Um, and but, and, and it's, it's quite impressive to be able to do that and not announce that much. Could you give us the thinking behind not having sort of big flagship policy and announcements in a speech like that? Well, I think she probably did announce quite a lot. I mean, but also in the way in which they're linked to the missions that Keir Starmer set for all of us. And those missions are bold, especially in the context of the inheritance we would have if we won the next election from the Conservatives. So, you know, decarbonising the power sector by 2030, generating a lot of economic growth, fixing the national health service, you know, and all the other ones. I mean, these are really difficult, bold missions for the country. And a lot of what Rachel talked about today was how we underpin that, whether it's about clawing back waste, effective use of public funds, investing with the private sector, trying to get the economy to a position where people see more of their money and can spend it in their local communities, reviving high streets, getting infrastructure built. I mean, there was a ton of stuff in her speech today about how the country will be transformed uh, under Labour, which I think people should uh, see positively. Mm. And so a couple of the new things um, were a new f- infrastructure acceleration unit. So this is looking at projects like HS2, making sure they come in on time and on budget. And you were talking a bit about that in, uh, earlier in your answer. And co- the COVID Corruption Commissioner to claw back some of that money lost fraudulent through pandemic schemes. How much money do you think um, sort of Labour can make back through these and similar measures that Rachel announced today? Well, the COVID commissioner um, is because the Tories have failed pretty miserably at clawing back what is evidently fraudulent claims on COVID schemes. Um, And we think there's no time to waste, really, in trying to claw that back. There have been some kind of pretty high-profile versions of that, but there were lots of other ones. We're talking billions of pounds here. Rachel referred the £7 billion um, total that we know has been fraudulently claimed. Um, the second piece on the acceleration unit, I mean, that will be the official, uh, the officials-led kind of output from my review, which is having reviewed how we build infrastructure and wanting to do it quickly and more efficiently, that unit will be tasked with kind of implementing some of the outcomes of my review and coordinating across Whitehall and with other partners to make sure that that's delivered in the way that we want it to be delivered. And how much money are you hoping to save from all of that? From the, well, the acceleration unit's about building. Um, So there'll be assessments there around returns on economic growth and private sector investment. Rachel talked today about how through the National Wealth Fund, we expect to get three pounds of private investment for every one pound of public investment. So depending on how you apply that to different projects, you can do the maths and see the return on that. She talked a lot again about buy, make and sell in Britain more. Um, her plans often compared to Bidenomics, although she refers to it as securenomics. Is it helpful for you to have Rachel compared to Biden? Biden's not very popular in the US at the moment and his plan's kind of not, not as popular with Americans as you might have thought it would be. Well, I mean, if you look at the growth figures in the American economy, the increased levels of employment, the way in which infrastructure investment has been targeted to areas that in the past hasn't ha- haven't had uh, investment, there's a lot of less 
lessons to be learned from the American scheme uh, and we would like to replicate some of those successes here in the UK and whilst we will not borrow for day-to-day -day spending uh, we have said through the National Wealth Fund through GB Energy through the Green Prosperity Plan that we are willing to co-invest with business in strategic sectors in the UK that we hope and believe will deliver those jobs and investments around the country and the UK as well. A big crackdown on consultants as well so it would, it would indicate more insourcing which she's, she's spoken about before. Yeah the consultancy budget has got very very big uh, in recent years. Part of that was COVID related but there was also some kind of underlying increases and basically what Rachel announced today was that there'd have to be we go back to a position I should say where there was internal sign-off because you really want to get to a position where you have civil servants that have the capacity to deliver ministers policy priorities without having to pay the private sector to do all of that work for us all the time. And this has been described as a very careful Labour conference. I mean you talked about the Shadow Treasury team signing off on speeches and Rachel Reeves' speech was very much focused around the sort of ironclad discipline. Um, Rachel, is that how it's coming across to you? <laughs> and I mean, how does it make you feel as a journalist? Because it's pretty tough to find stories. I should say that there are, there are a lot of Rachels involved in this podcast. Yeah, sorry, Rachel um, <laughs> it has been hard and, and, and talking to people kind of, everyone's very cheerful, but there has been a sense of, uh, okay, but there hasn't been that much actual news. There was one bit of sort of news though, which is obviously Labour have been very careful about saying that they won't raise major taxes um, but uh, there was an announcement in the speech that Labour could look again at borrowing if it was strategically to invest in projects that were that there, was, there was a sort of strong financial future driven case for that and obviously that's been picked up by some on the Conservative side as look Labour just want to, to borrow more. Is that a risk for, for you guys? Did you feel like it was a risk or is it something that you think there's actually a strong case for for selling? Well, that that's not actually news because it wasn't new. It was just re-announcing what we'd already previously announced, which is where uh, we see the case to co-invest with business in strategic infrastructure. We will we will do that. Um, and you've seen colleagues from Johnny Reynolds and the business team talk about what that means for the future of electric vehicle manufacturing. Uh, you've seen Ed Miliband and the energy team talk about how we get the grid up and running so you can connect more offshore wind and onshore wind renewables to the system to reduce energy bills through energy security investments. So th those are the kind of obvious examples. But it, it, what Rachel said today wasn't that wasn't a kind of new announcement around additional borrowing. It was just fleshing out a little bit more what we've already said about a very sensible package of co-investment opportunities with the private sector. And there was news in the sense that you've got Mark Carney endorsing mm. Labour or specifically... And Mary Portis. <laughs> Mary Queen of Shops. But uh, the, the, uh, the, the former Bank of England governor who was recruited specifically by George Osborne backing the, the shadow chancellor, like that was... That was a big moment. How did that how did that come about? Well, it's it's hugely important because not only is it a kind of personal endorsement for what we are saying in the Labour Party, but it recognises the risky behaviour of the Conservatives over the last few years. And it builds on the things that we've already announced about giving additional powers to the Office of Budget Responsibility. Rachel said in her speech that any significant change to tax policy, whether as part of a fiscal event or otherwise, would have to have an independent assessment from the OBR so that we can never be in the position again where we were with Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, where they were just kind of making up 
cap on costed policies and caused a market kind of meltdown. And the independence of the Bank of England, which was brought into question during that time, is a really important part of that uh, kind of appropriate check and balance in the system. That was a part of the speech that made me laugh, actually, about the um, you know permanent tax and spend changes will you know have to be signed off by the OBR. And there was a big whoop and applause for that. And it just made me think things feel really <laughs> different. You know, the applause lines used to be, you know, love for the NHS. Of course, that's still expressed by, you know, most shadow ministers who are on stage and, you know, bashing the Murdoch press and, and the sort of greatest hits that you might have expected from Labour conferences past. Now there's people whooping and cheering for fiscal responsibility. Has your, do you think the, the party, the party faithful has changed? Well, the reason for that is because the vast majority of people across the country have suffered the consequences of ill discipline from the Conservatives. Mortgage payments are a very obvious example of that. The vast majority of people on mortgages by this coming summer uh, will have had to renegotiate their mortgage and will have had to pay more than they did before, Some for some people in very significant ways. So people are living the consequences of fiscal ill-discipline, and that's why they are clapping and cheering for fiscal discipline, because it really matters to people. Yeah. Also, yeah. I should say that a cheer for the OBR, which was set up by George, George Osborne, Osborne yeah. as a way to trap future Labour chancellors. <laughs> so uh, how times have changed. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to talk for George Osborne, but actually, if you listen to lots of the things he's been saying, it seems like he's quite supportive of the Labour Party at this point <laughs> uh, in the election cycle. <laughs> maybe maybe another endorsement video. Maybe. That's what's, well, that's what's coming in case maybe. speech. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, he's certainly good friends with their balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've been told that the whole framing of this conference is supposed to be why Labour. Is that difficult to do when you can't announce, you know, big spending commitments, as we've just been discussing? I don't think so, because, uh, well, one, the public understand the state of the economy. So if we started announcing, I think someone earlier in another interview said free ponies for everyone, your choice of animal, you know, people would say, well, obviously, that's not credible. And we're not going to vote for a party that's just going to borrow to spend things frivolously. So everybody knows the context the country's in right now. But again, I would go back to our missions. You know, these things are not kind of simple, easy wins. I mean, fixing the NHS and dealing with the backlog, improving access to dental services, some of the things on childcare, on research spending, on you know infrastructure building. These are kind of big, difficult jobs. It's going to take a lot of effort for a Labour government to be able to deliver, but we're all absolutely focused on, on doing so. So I think, it's, I think it's right for us to say it's about taking Britain's future back and showing the difference a Labour government will make because that's what's coming out through the detail. I'm just amused that um, Rachel has to sign off Keir's speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I suspect the Rachel Keir sign-off is uh, done in a slightly different way uh, <laughs> to everybody else, but everybody is subject to our fiscal rules. It doesn't matter who you are in the Labour Party. What should people take? from Rachel's speech today? Well, it was a very strong, authoritative speech. I think it set out huge ambition for the country and it showed an absolute determination for us to, um, to, to win the next election, to campaign really hard for that, but also then from day one to get running on dealing with some of the big challenges the country faces. Um, and lastly, I mean, what are your survival tips for party conference? Uh, well, have somewhere to sleep, because when <laughs> we got to our Airbnb last night, it turned out it was uh, not available. Someone else was in it, oh, no. uh, which was a bit, wow. of a, a bit of a drama. I, there are so many people here in Liverpool, I think Airbnb bookings and probably other booking websites, I should say, have had other problems. Um, <laughs> the accommodation hasn't quite been available for everybody. So. Well, yeah, I mean, when I turned up to our hotel, they were like, OK, that's £595, please. <laughs> and yeah. I was on the phone to the, uh, the New Statesman events team trying to get them to <laughs> work out what had gone on.
so. It's nice to know <laughs> that the issues with accommodation go right from you know, the, the lowly journalist all the way, all to the the way the up <laughs> to the shadow cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Afraid to, afraid to. So what did you think of what he had to say? I thought, you know, I really wanted to ask him that that why Labour question, because that's what we've been told is the story of this conference. And I just it's not coming through to me. Um, and, you know, I've had Labour MPs sort of tell me, you know, we are fed up with hearing about Keir Starmer's backstory. Now we really do need to hear the vision for the future. You know, even at this conference where the discipline is very high, I have heard a bit of griping like that. And someone even told me that, you know, in some of the by-elections, they're actually asking the question on the doorstep, well, which party don't you want to win? And, you know, that's kind of the negative kind of framing that why Labour is supposed to is supposed to be moving them on, on from, you know, rather than, oh, we don't want the Tories to, oh, but we do want Labour. It does feel like... It's very much, look at what the other lot are doing with the grown-ups, with the competent ones. And actually being here compared to Conservative Party Conference in Manchester, it's not just that the vibe is different, the vibe is very different, but that was a party in crisis, lots of different factions griping at one another. Um, it was sort of very obviously not a united party. And I think the message here, certainly the message discipline, has been incredibly strict. This is a united party. And so that's the dividing line. But it is a continuation, as you say, Anoush, of the elect us because look at how much the last lot messed it yeah. up. And that's been enough so far. But what people have been saying for the last mm, six months is that's not enough to actually win you an election. You have to offer something concrete as an alternative other than just not being them. And I, I, haven't, I haven't seen much detail on that yet either but they are all really happy and really enthusiastic yeah and they do have they do have lots of policies to be fair it's just getting those it's not a vision individual flagship kind of retail policies that give yeah. you a flavor of what labor's going to be like a good slogan government. though I, I do like their slogan which i have just now forgotten <laughs> um it, give britain's like, future give back, back. <laughs> um, it's written everywhere a sign of a good slogan if it's you can't remember <laughs> Uh, I, th I thought one of the, the most interesting thing we didn't go into it too much with Darren, but I thought it is really interesting this idea that she's going to do more insourcing mm -hmm. and that consultants are not going to be, you know, that's not what they favour as, as as part of how they would see the economy. So I think that's kind of an interesting policy because that has implications for all yeah. public services, really. Definitely, and that's part of the securonomics agenda. Yeah. She did actually mention the term securonomics, um, and that is interesting because it is it's it's a shift away from what we have now, but it's also a shift away from what Labour was sort of promising when Starmer was running for the Labour leadership, which was sort of just generic nationalisation of certain sectors. Um, so they've gone from that to something a little bit more um, sort of refined about insourcing. But it's going to it's going to require some battles with business and and in government as well. Indeed, yeah. Um, but just to talk more generally about conference, it feel, this feels like a party in government. They do not. It does not feel like an opposition. It's not. It's not a lot of rallying speeches. It's. It's so calm. There's no. There's no division, whatsoever. There's a bit of, a bit of exhaustion. I think with the, with the government and it's like a tension of the of an approaching campaign. But it doesn't feel. Nothing feels urgent. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I did mean what I said to him about feeling like the party faithful had slightly changed because I've noticed that not just in 
the shadow chancellor speech but also i was doing an event with wes streeting about um how to frame health policy and the labor manifesto and he was talking about you know bringing in private provision to help with taking waiting lists down nothing new he's talked about that a lot and i was expecting you know when you get questions from the audience to get some pushback on that because you know a labor audience is usually very skeptical about anything you know private money related in the health service and actually it was a gp who stood up and said oh how can you help me do this more for my patients and it just felt like such a shift i don't know if you've come across any examples like that definitely in the people who are attending again this is my first one but i I feel like this is a shift so at the new statesman party last night i had various people saying oh this is i've come to you know i come from i'm not going to name any brands here but a big telecoms company or a sort of big tech company Uh, and you know i always come as the comms person public affairs person but this year my ceo is here too and this is the first year they've been there and i had that conversation two or three times and on the exhibition floor there's just a really wide range of people who seem very infused about being in the room where the next government is forming and 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 happening and like the attendance levels tell you something as well right yeah, well, I heard the business dinner was sold out. You know, people couldn't get in. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I think it's worth talking about, like, this speech. It is like the arrival of Rachel Reeves. This felt like a different level for her. Yeah, she Even, definitely had taken on a different speaking do, style. Do, as yeah. do you think she has more star quality than Keir Starmer? Uh, <laughs> um, I think she's more of a draw for Labour activists, for sure. There's, there's, she's got much more of a camp than Kia has personally I think and, and she has a great relationship with businesses like she, she's done so much networking it's unbelievable yeah yeah and as we've heard she signs off yeah. Starmer's speech and does, yeah. <laughs> well I think the Mark Carney thing was interesting because that was a personal endorsement of her and obviously that's also an endorsement of Labour's economic and sort of financial plans but obviously she worked at the Bank of England and to get that from the guy who was handpicked by George Osborne. I mean, whether the majority of voters up and down the country really care who Mark Carney is or or, or what he has to say, that's kind of not the issue. I think that was a personal endorsement of her and it's not like Keir Starmer has had that kind of thing from somebody else in the British economic establishment. Yeah. So... A group of people has moved into the booth next to us, so I think this is probably a good time to wrap the podcast up. Yeah, sorry to our listeners about some of the background noise, but at least you get a sense of the buzz that we've been talking about at this conference. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe, Rachel Wearmouth, and our guest, the Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Darren Jones. We'll be back tomorrow with more from the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.